Luke 15, 17 through 24. Familiar passage of scripture. And when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. And I want to give you my testimony today. It wasn't long ago, 2004, that I was the man that you would see and walk across the street. My family couldn't trust me. My family was afraid of me because they knew if they turned their back, I would steal everything that they had. Bound by drugs and alcohol and crime and hate. When I look back, I don't even recognize that man anymore. Because see, I put all my hope in Jesus. And all my yesterdays are gone. I want you to lift your hands. And let's just begin to invite a special anointing to fall in this place. Oh, in the name of Jesus, Father. I magnify you, God. I need you now more than ever before, Lord. Lord, I feel you calling to us, Jesus. Now I'm asking you to touch my mind and touch my voice and touch my body, God. Move upon me, Lord. Move upon me, Jesus. I rebuke any spirit of condemnation that has tried to come into this building. I take dominion over it right now and I cast it out of here. Any evil spirits that are not of you have to leave because I command them in your name to leave. Move upon us, Jesus. Let there be healings. In Jesus' name. You may be seated. Pittsburgh, Kansas. Now in the early 70s, I know that I only look in my 30s. But I was alive in the 70s. Anybody remember the 70s? See, I ain't the only old person in here. My father received the gift of the Holy Ghost in 1967. In 1970, he went to Pittsburgh, Kansas to start a home missions church. Now, Pittsburgh, Kansas was predominantly a Catholic town and they had no Jesus name churches there whatsoever. And the biggest church was, it was 
called the Trinity Full Gospel Church, and we were just riding around Kansas, looking at all, Pittsburgh, looking at all the churches, you know, getting the lay of the land. And we come up to a park. Y'all remember back in the 70s, there was no car seats, right? Man, they loved us. I would stand in the front seat. Y'all remember that? Not stand in the back. They wanted me up front where I could be catapulted <laughs> head first through glass that would impale me and probably decapitate me. No, come on up front, buddy. We would travel and my sister would lay in the back glass and I made my brother lay in the floor and I'd stretch out in the middle. Well, we were all riding around Pittsburgh, Kansas and yeah, I think it was like our second Sunday there. And we came to this park and Caddy Corner to the park. Y'all know what Caddy Corner is, right? I said that in Minnesota and I had to explain that to them. <laughs> to the church was this park, you know, and, and Caddy Corner to the park was this massive church, the biggest church in town. And they must have had dinner on the ground or a picnic or something because there was about 300 people filing across to this church. So we pulled up and we're stopped and we're letting them walk across in front of us and these people made their first mistake. Now my father was nuts. I'm just going to tell you. If you look up crazy in a dictionary, you're going to see a picture of his fat face smiling at you. The man was crazy. And they walked up to his window and they said, excuse me, sir, are you our guest speaker? My father didn't even hesitate. He said, I sure am. I'm looking for a place to park. So they got us parked, and they were already, the music had been going on, and they walk all five of us Mahaney's into this big, massive church. We'd never seen anything like it. Theater seating. And then they made their second mistake. They just turned around and handed my dad the microphone. My father slid up to that pulpit and he told him the name brand of his tie. He told him the name brand of his suit. He told him the name brand of his shirt and his shoes, his socks. He said, everything I own has a name on it or it's bootleg. He said, if you got a baptism and it doesn't have a name on it, you got a bootleg baptism. Well, that went over like a pork chop at a bar mitzvah. <laughs> and as fast as they ushered us in, guess what? <laughs> there was two families in that church that God had revealed Jesus' name baptism to. We didn't realize it at the time, but they had been praying and fasting. God sent a preacher to this town. So when we walked out, guess what? They followed us out. Come on, God knows where his people are. They tried to blow the church up. My dad said he didn't mind that so much, but he was in it. They came one day, me and my father were sitting on the porch. 
and two carloads of men pull up. One of them gets out and says, hey, are you Mahaney? My dad says, I am. He said, good, we're here to whip you. I'm like, yeah, you know. I mean, come on, y'all, it was home missions. We didn't have nothing. Get a little WWF, you know. And you got to understand, my dad was about that tall and about that wide. Had them little squinty, beady eyes. His face looked like it caught on fire and they put it out with a golf shoe, you know. That's the truth. Isn't it, Brother Johns? He had tattoos all over him. My dad said when he was in jail and they read out, ran out of stuff to read, they read him. It's all right. Hold on over there. So my dad took his, takes his coat off, right, and he lays it over the porch rail. He says, well, come on. He said, I believe I got enough of the Holy Ghost in me to let y'all whip me. That old guy started filing out across the yard, and my dad walked down the steps to meet him. When he got put his foot on the steps, my dad poked him in the chest. He said, but you better pray I don't backslide during this beating, Jack. He told them, you either start whipping or I'm going to start casting out devils. And I'm telling you, they ran. They left the cars there and ran. God began dealing with my father about being an evangelist. My father was an evangelist for 32 years. The last three years of his life, I was privileged. I got to travel with him and sing before he'd preach. And I began to pick his brain and ask him questions. And I asked him, I said, how did you know you were going to be an evangelist? He said, it was one Sunday night after church. Everybody had went home. He said, I was sitting in my office and an audible voice spoke to me and told me to look up. My father told me when he looked up, he said, it was like I was in a different dimension. He said, and I was walking down a path and he said, I could hear people screaming off in the distance. And he said, the further I walked down this path, it felt like a furnace of heat blasting me. He said, I could smell hair burning and flesh burning and people screaming and crying out in agony. My father said he walked over and looked over an edge of a pit and he said there was thousands of people tumbling and screaming in flames in hell. My dad said the Lord spoke to him, said, now look across this pit. And my dad said when he looked off in the distance, he could see thousands and thousands and thousands of people. He said the Lord spoke to him, said, no, look in their face. And he said, I could immediately see every feature and every face that I looked at. The Lord spoke to him, said, remember them, because if you don't evangelize, their blood's going to be on your hands. My father goes home and he has a dream. I have a uh, brother and sister that are twins. My sister has passed, but my brother and sister were twins. And they were born on my second birthday. Yeah, that's real cool when you're in home missions. <laughs> we all three had the same birthday. My dad said it was because he is oneness. <laughs> that's what he said. He used to introduce us in the 70s as Charlie's Angels because his name was Charlie. <laughs> and we'd sing. <laughs> but in that dream, my mother was rocking 
my brother and sister, they were small and they were dead. And my dad walked up and he said, what happened? And she says in this dream, you wouldn't evangelize. We don't like hearing stuff like that now in this new politically correct age. It still happens. So my dad gets up and he said, Lord, if this dream was from you, show my wife right now tonight. And I want you to know before the dawn could break, God showed my mother the exact dream. She went and found my dad and pointed at him and said, I don't know what's going on with you, but we better evangelize. Now, it didn't take us long to pack. We was in home missions, you know. We was ready to roll. And my dad had read that to be an evangelist, you needed a trailer. Y'all ever seen them little teardrop trailers? That's what he come pulling up in the yard for all five of us to live in. And pulling it, he had a 1965 Buick Wildcat. Anybody remember those? The front of it went all the way to the woods out yonder. It had an emblem on it, but you needed binoculars to see it. It was so far out in front of you. Now, I'm going to tell you something about Mahaney men. We are demolishers. I can't fix anything. My wife sees me with tools and she goes, uh-uh. Because ultimately, it's going to cost me way more than if I just first call somebody that can fix it. Well, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. My dad was a demolisher. And this old Buick Wildcat didn't have any taillights. So my dad got this idea that he would run wires from the battery to the driver's side window. Then wires from the taillights to the driver's side window. And if we seen the cops, we'd say police. And my dad would rub the wires together. Taillights. I'm serious, you can't. But my favorite feature of this fine 1965 Buick Wildcat was every time we made a left-hand turn, the horn would honk. It seemed like every revival, guess which way we turned into the revival? Honk! I've never been so embarrassed by a car in my life. We prayed, me and my brother and sister, God, let somebody steal it, let a lightning bolt hit it, let it get caught in a flood. We were in an outdoor service in Wharton, Texas, and my father was preaching away. And one thing about Charles Mahaney was he was never speechless. And all of a sudden, my father gets this shocked look on his face, and he's looking back behind the crowd, and he's just speechless, you know. <laughs> So everybody turns around and looks and our car was on fire out there. God had finally taken it in a sacrifice and the Mahaney kids were running the aisles. God began to use my father greatly. I travel this world preaching this gospel and I can't, I still am blown away by the impact that he had on this world and on this nation. Now I'm preaching in pulpits of men and women that received the Holy Ghost under his ministry or were called to preach at a camp meeting or a youth camp under his ministry. I'm, I remember 1978 in Eldorado, Arkansas. 
There was a man there that was 50 years old. He was born blind. He didn't even have the things in his head to be able to see. My father walked down during the song service and he put his hands over that man's eyes and said, I speak the word of faith. And instantly, God created everything in this man's head. He stands up and begins to scream, my God, I can see, I can see. I just want to tell you, Atlanta West, if God did it in 1978, nothing's stopping him from doing it in 2018. Come on, I serve a God that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Come on, I'm just crazy enough to believe that God can heal you before you leave this place. There was a pastor's wife, she had a big tumor on her stomach, it was visible. I think they were from Maine. And I watched my dad, he was preaching. He just stopped. He called her up and then he called the, another lady up. He said, you put your hand on her, on that tumor. He began to speak against it. I rebuked the very spirit of this cancer and it left so fast. Come on, she had to grab her skirt. My God is still the healer of cancer. And I'm just going to tell you, they told me I'm a diabetic, but my God's still the healer of diabetes. I believe when I go back on the 20th, they're going to say, well, we've, we, we've done all we can do. You're fine. Just go ahead and leave. Come on, you got to speak against the things that you want God to do in your body. I seen the time when we didn't have the gas to get the next revival. And I watched my mother and father get out. And you could hear them praying with their hands on that gas tank. God, you know we don't have any money. But we didn't go to this revival. Come on, do you believe it? And we get in the car and never stop. Go straight to the next revival. Come on, God's not, we're not waiting on God. God's waiting on us. I get tired of hearing evangelists and preachers say, well, I prayed for them, but they didn't have any faith, so they didn't get healed. I tell them, well, listen here, Jack, Eutychus had zero faith. It wasn't Eutychus' faith that had him healed. It was Paul's faith. God is waiting for his church to realize who he really is. Come on, healings just don't happen overseas. They can happen right here, today, in the name of Jesus. It's according to what you believe. I watched as people were healed. Demons were cast out. My dad would... I could be anywhere and he would tell me to sing because if my mom had an accordion he had a flat top guitar we gonna have a street service. Be just be driving along. Well that looks like a good place for a street service. Oh. People getting the Holy Ghost right there on the street. Come on we need to take it to them. 
I preached in a park just here a few months ago in Vancouver, British Columbia, where you're not even hardly allowed to breathe. And they said, just tone it down. I said, well, you got the wrong guy. You might go to jail. I said, okay. Been there before. I could use a little vacation. And I preached on the name of Jesus Christ with Muslims on one side and ungodly people on the other side. And we begin to pray people through the gift of the Holy Ghost right there in the park. You'd think after seeing all of this that I would have been the first one, Bible under my arm, headed to Bible college. They're so glad that I didn't go to Bible college. The truth of the matter, the only thing that stood between me and college was high school. That was a little problem. Oh, you know, I, I called on ads trying to get jobs. Yeah, I'd like to be a doctor. You got any college? What? But you see, I never found him for myself. I just want you to know I feel this. You can't rely on what your mother has. You can't rely on what your father has. You can't rely on what your husband or your wife has. But you better find him for yourself. You better have a relationship with him for yourself. Because one of these days, you're going to come to a crossroads. And if you don't have a relationship with him, Redfield, Arkansas, senior camp. Jerry Dean was my youth president, and Aubrey Giroux was my youth secretary. I came to that camp. I had two ounces of weed hid in my suitcase, and I had taken vodka and poured it out and poured it in all my mouthwash. I bet they were wondering why this guy has three bottles of mouthwash. <laughs> And I smoked dope all week, going in and out of the woods. And they finally, you know, stone people really don't think right, you know. It didn't dawn on me they're going to see me going out to the woods about five times a day. But on Thursday, they caught me out in the woods smoking a joint. And they took me to the boardroom. Back then, the boardroom was behind the platform in the tabernacle. And... That's where they took you if you got in trouble. I was back there so much, I thought I'd have a name tag. <laughs> Brother McCool flushed my marijuana. And Brother Dean looked at him and said, what do you think we need to do with this boy? I'll never forget as that elder began to cry. He said, Brother Dean, if this was my son, I'd be begging for mercy. Brother Dean pointed his finger in my face. He said, Nick, I ought to call the police. I ought to call your dad. And I ought to call Brother Lumpkin, who was our superintendent. And to be honest with you, I'd have rather even call my dad and the police than Brother Lumpkin. He said, but the Holy Ghost is telling me that you're at a crossroads in your life. And if you don't find something here, your life's never going to be the same again. 
So they let me go, and I went back to the dorm, and I started drinking. By the time church rolled around, I was almost drunk. First song, I tapped my friends on the leg, and I said, I'll never be back again. I don't believe in God, I don't believe in this message, and I'll never be back again. I walked out that night, 17 years old, on the backside of the cross. Within one year, I was a full-blown alcoholic. I'm talking like my hands were shaped like this to where I couldn't light a cigarette. My hands would shake so bad, and the only way I could get rid of them was I'd wake up and start pouring vodka and bourbon and slamming it till my hands would settle down enough, and then I'd start smoking dope. And I'd smoke weed and drink until I went into alcoholic blackouts and wake up in ditches covered in vomit. Don't even know how you got there. Wake up with your car wrapped around a tree. You're thrown out of the car in the woods. You don't even know where you're at and don't even know what happened, how you got there. Or the worst one, wake up in jail. And you'd roll over and put your face towards the wall and think, dear God, what have I done? Because you don't have any idea what you've done. And afraid to ask. Well, God will send people in your lives. But let me tell you something. The devil will send people into your lives too. Let me tell you, young men. God has a woman for you. You don't need to go looking out in the world for somebody. Come on, that God doesn't intend for you to even be with. Come on, God's got a woman like my wife. I called her at 6 o'clock this morning. She's already up praying that God would bless us today and move in this service. Come on, God will send you somebody that'll walk beside you, be a prayer warrior, fast with you. But let me tell you, young men, something. The devil has a woman for you too. He's got a woman with eyelashes out to here. <laughs> Walking around in a gownless evening strap. Sorry, Sister Green. <laughs> she knows me. That have compromised everything you've ever been taught. Come on. Young ladies, God has a man for you. You don't have to go out in the world looking for some man. Come on, if you'll be faithful, God will send you the right man. Not some man that's going to come home drunk and beat up on you. Come on, that's going to drink up your paycheck. Come on, are you listening to me? Going to smoke up your paycheck. Going to treat you like dirt. Got one whisker out here. One down here, one over here. Reminds you of a scripture, the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. That devil's got a man for you. You better pray and be faithful. You see, the devil begins sending people into my life. Just right up the road from the campground, 1984. I used to drive by that campground drunk and it'd say Redfield United Pentecostal Church campground and I'd get out and curse God and I'd throw whiskey bottles at that church and I was at a party and a guy walked up and said, man, you like to party? He said, 
He brought out a mirror about this size right here, big long white lines on it. He said, try one of these. This is cocaine. You'll party for days. Man, he was right. I did my first line of cocaine, and that's all I wanted to do was dance and party. Look at me. I'm a big, fat, white guy. I can't dance. I get on that coke. I thought I could. I mean, expert on everything. You want to talk about it? I was your man. And that's back when all over the news outlets was the most potent, cheapest form of cocaine has come to America. Y'all remember the crack epidemic? I was in the crack epidemic. I couldn't wait to find me some crack cocaine. I found my first crack rock and I had a radio antenna and I put Brillo down in it. You can always tell all the crackheads were around because nobody had any radio antennas. And I put that rock on that Brillo and I put the fire to it. And when I blew that, drew that smoke into my lungs and blew it out, I was higher than I'd ever been before in my life. From that moment on, I was helplessly and hopelessly addicted to crack cocaine. I'd smoke crack, look in the carpet for crack. I see some of y'all shaking your head, getting mad when you put a breadcrumb in your pipe. I couldn't keep up with my habits, so the only way I could do it was I began to make massive amounts of crack cocaine, and we'd sell it in Little Rock, Arkansas. And I began running around with bikers, and their drug of choice is methamphetamines. The first time I did a line of meth, I washed my car, the neighbor's car, everybody on the block's car. I was up 14 days one time on methamphetamines. I don't know if y'all realize this, but God didn't tend for your bodies to be up 14 days. Start hallucinating. Start thinking people are following you and you want to bushwhack them. Come on, I'm telling you the truth. So the only way I could keep up my habit with meth is I became a meth cook. I remember, I can take you to the house right now in Little Rock on Junior Deputy Road. We had a big party. There was people everywhere. And we had made methamphetamines. We had big bowls of methamphetamines. And people were dipping it out, snorting it, smoking it, shooting it. And I was, I was sitting on a blue recliner and my buddy Danny walks up and he said, you like to get high, roll your sleeve up. You're gonna feel something like a pin sticking you and you'll be higher than you've ever been before in your life. I rolled my sleeve up and he took a U100 insulin syringe. And he put it in my vein. And when I seen that blood shoot up into that syringe, man, I was higher than I'd ever been before in my life. Hopelessly addicted. From that moment on, it didn't matter what I had to do. I was going to find some dope and put it in a spoon and draw it up in a U100 insulin syringe and put and find a vein in my body to put it in. It meant more to me than my family. It meant more to me than my job. It was my God. It meant more to me than anything in this world. If I was at a party and you had a lot of money, I'd follow you out and beat you up and take your money. We'd do strong arm robberies. We'd do house invasions. We would do burglaries and carjackings long before the carjackings was popular. Anything and everything that I could do just so I could stay high. So for 10 years, I was a meth cook, ducking, dodging, hiding from the law, just one step in front of them, people trying to kill you because they, you wasn't going to give them no dope. 
or call the law on you because they were mad at you, so your head was on a swivel, and I was pulling down into a house to do a meth cook in Benton, Arkansas. And when I pulled down into the house, a man pulled open the car door and he put a pistol to my head. And when he did, I grabbed the gun and pulled him in the car because I thought he was trying to hurt me. And I began to whoop up on him pretty hard. I got the gun away from him and pushed him out. And when I was coming out of the car, as he hit the ground, a badge popped out on a chain. Now, I don't know how they are here in Atlanta, but in Arkansas, the popo don't like it when you take their gun from them. Right? <laughs> Any of y'all ever been pepper sprayed? I just started saying pass the pepper this year. I've been pepper sprayed so many times in my life. It got to where I was running going, man, I hope they got a taser. Because I hate that pepper spray. <laughs> Five class Y felonies. In Arkansas, that's 10 to 60 years apiece. So I'm on trial. This next part's gonna be hard for me, but I'm on trial for these charges and they raid my house, the drug task force does, and I've got a full-blown meth lab, weapons, everything you can think of going on in this house. My son was at the end of the driveway he, was, he had just been there to see me and was leaving. But when they seen him leave, they swept in. And because he was 18, he was not even involved in what I was doing. They charged him with everything that they charged me with. Come on, if you can't live for God for yourself, I, you need to walk back there and look at those kids in that kid's church. Come on, it ain't all about you. You're going to be man enough and woman enough to have children? You need to be man enough and woman enough to live for God and teach your children how to be men. Teach your children how to be women. All my kids ever knew of me was a drug addict and a, a violent man. Now my son's been shot. He's disappeared. We don't know where he's at. My granddaughter that was here the last time, I had to go to court and take her from her mother, my daughter, because she's been in and out of prisons. Come on, if you can't live for God for yourself, Brother Johns, I wish time after time that I'd have had my kids in a church and they would have known their dad as a man that lift his hands and prays, as a dad that walked around the house praying for his family. Eight more, yeah, that's right, eight more class Y felonies, the big ones. My plea bargain was 40 to life in prison. I was 38 years old and I was gonna die in prison. My son and I was in the jail that night and that was a, that was a wake up call right there because I had to sit up that night in that overcrowded jail because I didn't want anything bad to happen to that young boy. Come on. God worked it out. And my, my father come to get my son, his grandson. I've been to jail more times than Otis a drunk on Mayberry. I don't know if y'all know who that is. 
You know who it is. But I never would ask my dad to get me out of jail. You see, that's a problem we have. Can I be real with you? You're wondering why your child won't straighten up? Let him fall. You're wondering why your grandchild is in and out? Because you keep rescuing him, rescuing her. Come on, there comes a point where you got to say, God, I don't know what it's going to take, but he's in your hands. She's in your hands. I had done so many things wrong. I was such a violent person, evil man. Because of being in jail so many times, I was a bigot and I was a racist. I had no love in me for anybody. And I just knew God didn't want somebody like me. And my dad, as I was getting out of the car, he said, boy, he actually called me ignorant. My dad called me ignorant my whole life, but he just, he loved me. He said, if you're not going to let God help you, you need to find somebody that can help you because you're going to die in prison. You're a dead man walking. Your life is over. I'm thinking, man, sugarcoat it just a little bit here. I'll never forget as I looked at my father. I said, Dad, do you think God would forgive me? Because I honestly didn't believe God would forgive me. I watched a tear run down his face. He said, come home, son, come home. I went in my house that night and I laid down on the bed and all I could hear was amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved saved a wretch and I couldn't get it out of my mind. I got up and I started shooting dope. I was up for days and every time I would try to lay down, all I would hear was those old songs playing over in my mind, over and over. And it got to the place I was getting suicidal, so I said, well, I'm going to check myself into a drug rehab. I'd never been to a drug rehab before. And I, there's a place in Little Rock called Serenity Park. When you walk in, the jail's on the left and the cemetery's on the right. And they say, take a look at these places because if you don't find help here, that's where you're going. And I'd been up all night shooting dope and I walked in and I walked up to the girl behind the desk. I said, my name's Nick Mahaney. I'm supposed to check in today. This girl's about that tall. She stood up and said, Nick Mahaney? Your dad wouldn't be Charles Mahaney, would it? And I thought, oh, Lord, here we go again. <laughs> I said, yep, that's my dad. She said, well, I'm calling my mom. That's my favorite preacher. We're about to start praying for you, boy. I went through six, seven days of, of just pure nightmare because I, I, I was going coming off alcohol and drugs. I was going through DTs. I, I, I was seeing things. I was so sick that I can't, I mean, there's no way to describe it unless you've been through dope sickness. My stomach was tearing apart. It felt like somebody was ripping me apart from the inside, throwing up, cold, sweating, cold, sweating, and I knew all I had to do was call one of my buddies, walk out across the street where that liquor store I could see, get me a bottle of whiskey and have one of my buddies come bring me some dope and it'd be over. I'd made up my mind I was leaving. And as I was walking, it was a by, we had a bank of phones where you could make phone calls. A phone was ringing and a guy answered it and he said, Nick, it's for you. 
And I answered the phone, and it was my dad. Hey, ignorant, how you doing, buddy? I'm like, uh-oh. I said, well, Dad, I'm sorry. I said, I tried. I'm, I don't mean to let you and Mom down, but I'm out of here. I can't take it. I can't do it anymore. Got real quiet. My dad said, repent, ignorant, and slammed the phone. You could tell he was mad. I thought, well, that fat rascal <laughs> called me ignorant all my life. That big, fat, biscuit-eating, <laughs> fried chicken-loving, and I walked up the steps. First door on the left was my door. And I went to put my hand on the door and I heard this voice inside of me. You know what it said? Repent. You've tried everything else. Repent. See, we make it too hard for somebody to come back to God. I don't believe in eternal salvation. Once you're saved, you're always saved. But I believe that I'm always his child. And we want to try to put all these rules on somebody that's been strung out on dope, an alcoholic, and they're afraid that they can't live up when they all they need to do is repent. Now, I, I know God's omnipresent, but that day he was so real. It was like I could see him sitting over my bed and I crawled on my hands and knees to my bed and I lifted up my hands and I said, Jesus... I don't even know if you remember me. My name is Nick Mahaney and I'm sorry for what I've done. I can't tell you all the things that I've done, but you know them. And would you forgive me of my sins? Immediately, I began to speak in another language as the Spirit gave me the utterance. Come on, as God filled me with the gift of the Holy Ghost, I felt demons tearing out of my body. Come on, I felt that old racism and bigotry devil leave me. Let me tell you something. God made a blood covenant. He didn't make a skin covenant. And you will not go to heaven being a bigot or a racist. Alcoholism left my body. Drug addiction left my body. That was March of 2004. Come on, I haven't smoked another joint. I haven't put another needle in my arm. I haven't looked at no more pornography. Come on, I haven't. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. I don't have to go back to what I used to be because I'm not who I used to be. I've been set free. Come on, I've been set free. I've been set free. So you're probably wondering why I'm here preaching. I would stop here, but everybody would be waiting on me going, well, how'd you get out of 40 to life? Don't y'all want to know? Okay. They want to know, Pastor. There's a program in Arkansas called Drug Court, which I didn't qualify for. They let me know that. If you're not an ex-felon, you qualify, ex-felon. Known drug dealer, known drug dealer. Been arrested for violence, been arrested for violence. That's another one, you can't come. 
So we're sitting in a little room at court and my attorney tells my father and I that he's going to go plead my case one more time to the judge and the prosecutor. He comes back in like five minutes. And I'm just going to fill you in. If you're ever in court and your attorney's only going five minutes, not a good sign. All right? That's just from past experience. <laughs> this judge hated me. He was not a big Nick Mahaney fan. We had went round and round so many times, contempt to court this, contempt to court that. And my attorney come back in five minutes, and he was, my dad said, dear Lord, what happened? He goes, you ain't going to believe this. He said, I opened the door. I never said one word. The judge never looked at me. Him and the prosecutor were talking and he pointed and said, go ask your client if he'll take drug court. That's a miracle from God. So I went two years to drug court. They would rouse me up in the middle of the night. I wasn't a big fan of that. Search my house. They would... Uh, Drug test me two or three times a week. They gave me a therapist. Y'all need to pray for Lisa Ramsey. She was Nick Mahaney's therapist. <laughs> and to be honest with you, she don't do therapy no more. <laughs> That's a true story. It was about the second month. <clears throat> and I was in her office again. And I would always come in here and I'd tell her, man, I am not a drug addict. God has set me free. They hated me in these AA meetings because I'd get up and say, my name's Nick Mahaney and I ain't an alcoholic. Y'all might be, but I ain't. I've been delivered. And she was probably asking me, why do you keep causing problems at these meetings? Because I'm not a drug addict. God delivered me. I've been filled with the Holy Ghost. So one day she pushed her chair back she said, that's it, I've had enough. I thought, uh-oh, I have that effect on women. Y'all can call my wife. <laughs> she said, if you'll learn that song, Who Am I? I'll come to your church. Leave me alone. Don't ask me again. I'm like, I left, and I went straight and found the soundtrack to Who Am I. Called her that day. I got it. She's like, what? <laughs> See you Sunday. <laughs> she came to church Sunday night. Just so happened Charlie Mahaney was preaching. She was in trouble. Her and her husband walks in, baptistry way up top. She's a fine Catholic lady, one of the finest ladies I'd ever met. And she said, what's that? I said, Lisa, we can't drink our baptistry. You've got a donkey in it. She said, Nick Mahaney, you're not getting me in that baptistry. Baptized her that night in Jesus' name. I laid hands on her. She began to speak in another language. Baptized her husband. He got the Holy Ghost the same night. Pro, parole probation officer McMurray said, well, I'm gonna come and see what's going on. She brought her husband and her three kids. I prayed them all through to the Holy Ghost, baptized them that night. At one time, I baptized almost everybody in drug court.
March, I mean, uh, August of 2005, 2006, I was going to get to graduate from something finally. <laughs> Drug court. Hey, we all got to have a diploma. And that place would seat about 150 people. And it was packed to the walls because they were doing a push on drug court. There was people talking about, you heard Nick Mahaney, he's graduating drug court. You know, you got to be famous at something. <laughs> so they had, they, had, they was doing this push on drug court. And the night, the day of, the day before, the judge said, I need you to meet me in my chambers. Listen, my heart hit the floor. I thought, I'm not going to graduate. Just like school. They found something else. And I walk in there and sit down and a tear runs down his face, Judge Gary Arnold. He said, Nick, I've never seen anything like this in my life. He said, there has, I know there's a God because he changed your life. He said, this is unprecedented and I'm asking you to do me a favor. I'm like, man, I'm ready to do anything. He said, will you bring a piano and open up tomorrow's court session with amazing grace? I don't, you don't do that in court. So they said, all rise. I get to walk out with the judge. I'm like. They had all the newspapers. All of the television stations were there. Somebody said, what's a UPC going to say? I said, how are they going to know? <laughs> How did you know I was on TV? <laughs> I lifted my hands and I began to sing Amazing Grace How sweet the sound And I'm telling you, hands started going up and the power of God fell in that courtroom. I look back, my dad had his... Hands raised. Brother Lumpkin had tears running down his face. My mother was going, whoop, 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 whoop. And I thought, uh-oh. <laughs> I got a lot of explaining today. And I finished with the, that Gaither song, I'm free, praise the Lord. Free. My, my judge walked down off that podium. He had a stack of charges this tall. They couldn't put them in a folder. They were carrying them like this. He walks up and says, Nick Mahaney, these are yours. You can frame them. You can shred them. You can burn them. But I find no fault in you. You're a free and clear man. <laughs> 2,000 years ago, at a place called Calvary, Jesus Christ stretched his hands and they took and put my charges in his hands. Come on, and he said, come on home, Nick Mahaney. You're a free and clear man. I find no fault in you. Come on, I stand before you today, baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, filled with this Holy Ghost. Come on, no longer a drug addict, but a child of God. Come on, the devil wants you to think that you've done too much. But God has sent me in this place to tell you that he can save a man like me, that he can save you. Let's all stand.
I read this story. As I close, I want to tell you the story. In Arkansas up north in the Ozarks, we got rivers that we like to canoe. And, and I read a story about a young man that was canoeing. He went down a set of rapids and his boat flipped and he got caught and he was trapped. And he was drowning. He, was fighting. he could barely get his head up and he knew it was just a matter of time before the water rose too much and he'd be dead. An older man seen his predicament and he paddled down through the rapids and got the boat loose and pulled the man up on the bank and saved his life. We all know the story. This young man got with the wrong crowd. First he goes, oh, it's just a 22 and a blunt. I'm not hurting anybody. Don't you fool yourself. Marijuana and alcohol is the gateway to all kinds of other drugs. Don't you let the world try to sway you. If it hadn't have been for marijuana, I would have never been a drug addict. But it led me down the path to other things. It wasn't long before he was addicted to drugs and the crimes that came with it. And they caught him and arrested him. My brother seen thousands arrested. Took him in and he went to all of his court proceedings. He went through all of his court proceedings and it was his day of reckoning where he would be sentenced. You see, unbeknownst to him, his judge that him presiding over his case was called away in an emergency and they brought in another judge. It's got some judge emeritus, something, I can't remember the name. And they said, all rise. He stands and this judge walks in and he looks and it's the same guy five years ago that saved his life. So he taps his lawyer and says, I know this guy, we have a history. And the judge sentencing, throws the book at him, gives him everything. He says, your honor, don't you remember me? The judge looked down at him and said, son, I do remember you. That day I was your savior. Today I'm your judge. I'm here to tell you right now, under the unction of the Holy Ghost, I believe in grace and mercy. I am a product. Without grace and mercy, I wouldn't be standing here. But we always hear of people passing. Well, they're meeting a merciful God. No, they're not. The Bible says it's appointed once for every man to die. Then the judgment. See, when you talk to a guy like me that has stood in front of judge after judge, we know what judgment means. Why would you take the chance when there's such a sweet presence of God in this place to not meet him as your savior today because you're going to meet him one of these days as your judge. Come on, God's been tugging at somebody's heart in this place. Come on, you've been running too long. Come on, you've been making excuse after excuse. Now here it is. You want to meet him as your savior? Or you want to wait and meet him as your judge? You can look like you stepped out of the Pentecostal herald and have sin in your life. 
I'm asking somebody to step out as they begin to sing. And as they begin to sing, let God enter into you and lead you to a new life. Come on, if you're sitting beside somebody, come on, church people. Come on, prayer warriors. Be led of God. Take somebody by the hand and say, come on, just go with me. I'm going to pray. I need somebody to pray with me. Come on, we don't want to single you out, but we want you to be saved in this place today because there's a place called hell that's reserved for the ones that won't meet him as their savior. Come on, who will it be? Come on, begin to step out. Take somebody by the hand and say, come on, meet me at the cross. Come on, I'm begging you, I'm begging you, I'm pleading with you. This could be your last chance. Oh, you're trying to scare me. Yes, I'm trying to let you realize that this might be your only chance. Don't take another chance. Come meet him today as your savior. Come on, you've been running too long. It's time to quit running. And it's time to surrender to him. It's time to let that blood of the cross that they sang so, so great about today begin to cover you.